Hey there, I am Barb Higgins, and this is A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumph, and tragedy as I continue to retrace my steps under what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. By doing so, I hope to not only help myself, but to bring purpose and possibility to those who listen. If you are ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, then tie, buckle, face up, or slip on your shoes, and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Pickens here, welcoming you to episode 114 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. This is start number four. It's 10 minutes of one, and I have started this podcast four times. It's taken an hour and a half to start. When I was doing chronological podcasts, telling the story of my life, every episode led into the next one. And then recently, a lot of them have been around the book and and all of that. And so sometimes I'm at a loss as to what I want to talk about. And then I have 50 things I want to talk about all at once. So I've started this podcast three or four different ways. What I find is I end up rambling and talking about 50 different things. So I'm going to focus on two things right now, and they both sort of have to do with change. So I'm sitting in the kitchen. Behind me is the fridge with pictures of Gracie and Molly on it and a beautiful big bouquet of flowers from the book launch. And I'm sitting here because this is one of the last days that my kitchen will look this way. And the reason it's not going to look this way is we're remodeling it. And when I say remodel, we're, we're not gutting it, so to speak, because it's a beautiful kitchen with good, good structure. But we're changing a lot of it. We're changing windows. We're adding a door. We're taking down part of a wall. We're moving the bathroom door. We're doing all sorts of things to make the kitchen more usable, more modern, just new and different, a beautiful new kitchen. And it's time. When we bought the house, there was an ancient fridge and stove in it, which we used for several years. And the people that sold it to us said, oh, our next project was going to be the kitchen. All they had done was put in a new pergo floor, which is now a 25-year-old pergo floor. All we've done is lipstick and rouge, basically in the whole house. We built a second bathroom the summer that Molly was born, 2003. And that's all we've done. We've painted, we've replaced ceilings. You know, we've done the kinds of things that need to be done, but really that's it. And now finally, we're to the point where we realize, you know what, we need to make some good updates on our house. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's time. Time is a relative thing after the death of a child. And I know for me, I still have a hard time associating years and the passage of time and how old people are and all of that because so much of my life just came to a screeching halt in May of 2016. One of the biggest issues I have since Molly's death is changing anything. So as I sit here, I'm looking at a red parka that she hung on that hook, you know, in March or, you know, February, March of 2016, and we've never moved it. Gracie's is there as well. Her dance costumes hang in the front hall. Those are probably the last two things that she put somewhere that remain where she put them. We've slowly but surely been able to manage other things. Actually, I take that back. One whole wall in Gracie's room still has all of her things hung on it. All of her nail polishes that are now seven years old sitting on the shelf. So this is just part of grief. It's hard. Things come with a purpose and a time. I just updated Molly's phone and this beautiful new phone. And it's, go- it's going to be the phone for the foundation. And the best part of it is that when people call it, her voice will answer it. And that will always be the Molly B Foundation phone number. But that took a long time to even touch her phone, let alone update it and all that sort of thing. We've been able to sort of get into her Instagram and her email and things. So those things don't get locked out and thrown away. So, you know, her Snapchat, all of those things remain so that they don't just disappear. I'm not going to use any of those things, but this is just part of the process of grief. And when I actually said to Gracie, let's post some things on Molly's Instagram. She just looked at me like, no, no. And you know what? She's right. It's Molly's. 
But sometimes she and I think differently on things. When we first started talking about a kitchen renovation, Gracie was livid. Absolutely not. Now, she was heading off to Disney. She didn't want to move out, you know, and be gone for a year and come home and have something all different. But she wasn't ready. And the first time that, you know, Taylor, about a year ago from now that Taylor and Mark first came to look at our kitchen and they said, no, we can't do it. Gracie was relieved. Well, good, because I don't want a new kitchen. Now she, she's ready or as ready as any of us are. So here I sit almost the last day of October, right before Halloween, Molly's all-time favorite holiday, a big, huge, giant knot in my stomach. And why is it not in my stomach? Because it's all freaking happening at once. And part of me thinks that that's the beauty in it. And when I say all, I just have these major, major changes all happening at once. And they're good changes. They're necessary changes. It's time. But change is difficult. Change is super difficult for me. I have a hard time saying goodbye. I have a hard time letting go of relationships and friendships. I have a hard time accepting the fact that certain things will never, ever be the same. I remember as a little girl, I've shared this memory before, when my mother, I said something about, well, the next time I'm in second grade, I'll do this or that. And my mother said, well, you're never going to be in second grade again. Next year, you'll be in third grade. And I knew that I was going to third grade, but it just never dawned on me that time was linear, that it just went in one direction, that it didn't go back. You know, and I was seven, so I don't even, I don't even know what I was thinking, but I knew that I was horrified that each day would never happen again, if that makes any sense. But it was, it was a lot for me to ponder and process. It scared the crap out of me as a child. That sort of mode of thinking hasn't, hasn't left me. All of us, Gracie, Kenny, me, my mom, have been going through the process of accepting all these changes. And so the first change was the tree coming down. And I knew that the tree was going to come down. We had it looked at a couple of years ago. And I've talked at length. I did a whole podcast episode on the tree. And it's difficult. I'm looking to the right now because it should be right out that window. And it isn't. <laughs> I can see the, the garage across the street, which I normally would see through the tree. That's been a very, very difficult change to deal with. Next comes the landscaping. So our front yard is all bulldozed. The fence is down. That fence has been up since we bought the house. I have a picture of Molly standing on that piece of the fence, painting it with Elise, who used to live next door, and Gracie. It's gone now. That piece of the fence has taken down. It's not, it's not up anymore and it never will be. The last tangible thing that Molly did, her last day on earth, April 30th, she and Kenny staked out the whole yard, staked the fence. They went around the whole yard. So we've not touched the fence because it's like the last thing she did. And so to get rid of it just seems obscene. And, and I don't know how else to explain it. And then for someone like me that doesn't like change to begin with, you know, it's like, let's just paint it. We've painted it a couple of times since Molly died, but you know, it's, it's time. And so the changes are coming. So we have new stairs and, and we're going to have a stone wall and a new path. It's going to be beautiful and, it's, and we're ready for it. We deserve to have this beautiful front yard that represents our life now and isn't holding on frantically to the past. Although I panic when I say those words because I don't want to let the, let the past go. So that's happening. So the landscaping and the tree. Then Coach's house, we totally bulldozed out his garden. So it's all gone now. It's a huge, beautiful yard. But with every bush I pulled up and everything we weed whacked and everything we ground up to a halt, I thought of Coach and I thought of him planting vegetables and blueberries and raspberries and blackberries and all the hours he spent in that yard. And he raised his kids in that yard. And it was the Ludie's yard for 55 years and or even more, 45, 65 years, you know, forever they lived there. And and now they don't. And so now we're going to start redoing the hallway and, you know, redoing the walls and the ceilings and, and it's time, right? It's time. We took the carpet up. 
So the carpet's up and there'll be new carpet and it will be beautiful, but it's difficult. It doesn't look like it used to look. And I think that's the fear with my kitchen because here's the next thing, the kitchen. We have a very big open kitchen. There's nothing built in. There's no cabinets that we have a pantry with cabinets in the sink and the dishwasher and drawers. That's where everything is. Dishes, plates, food, all of it is in the pantry. Out here is the fridge and the stove and a little butcher block. And that's it, a hutch and the table. So food prep takes place in a very small area, which is fine. We've made it work for 23 years, or I should say Kenny's made it work for 23 years. Our kitchen is going to be radically different. It will have counters going all the way around. The windows will be half half up. They won't be full-length windows anymore. It's just going to be completely different. There won't be room for this table in here. There'll be a counter that will sit at, like an island, and the table will be somewhere else. Who knows where? We don't even really know yet. It's all just going to be different, and it's freaking all of us out on some level. So that's why I'm recording the podcast here. I, I just want to spend as much time as I can here in this room looking at it. And as I sit here and look around, everything evokes a memory. I'm looking at a wooden angel. It's something you might hang on a door at Christmas. And we hung it on the wall when Gracie was three, the year we got it, maybe even two. And she, it doesn't, doesn't have a mouth on it, that it's cheeks and eyes and a nose, but no mouth. Gracie took a Sharpie and drew this crooked little smile on it. I'm looking at it. I remember her drawing it. She had little corduroy pants on and a pink shirt. That was 20 years ago. And I remember it because it happened here in this room. There's a big open space of floor here. And I was had too many drinks <laughs> one Christmas and I sang the 12 days of Christmas to Gracie and Molly, but I did all different words and a butt scratch to keep your butt from scratching. So it was just a silly song that I sang to them and on the floor and we laughed and laughed and laughed. The chair I'm sitting in is in the exact spot that Molly was sitting when I took a picture on her 13th birthday. The little cake was in front of her with the 13 and she's smiling and her hair is in braids. And when I stand in the doorway that I'm looking at from this chair, I can see the window behind me and I look at Molly and I can see her. I see where she sat because the table's here and the chairs are here and the window is the same. In two months time, when I stand in that exact spot, I'll see a counter. I won't see the bathroom door because it will be behind the fridge and it will be a new fridge and the window will be different. All of it will be different. And so will I be able to see Molly sitting at this table? Yes but I won't see it the way it happened. I won't see it the way that it happened. So this is sort of a double-edged sword because I've often said, when I go to new places, it's easier sometimes because Molly wasn't there. And so she's not missing. I miss her, but she isn't missing from the picture. She isn't missing from the place. We have not returned to the Jersey Shore. I haven't gone to Clark's Train Bears. There's just places that we haven't gone because I don't know that I could do it, right? Molly's not there. I don't know that I could do it without her. But that's also sometimes it keeps things sad. I have a friend of mine, Jenna, who's a medium, and she once said that Molly says the kitchen is too sad, that that's just too much sadness here. And I, I remember I didn't want to hear that because sometimes the kitchen is when I think about her and feel about her, feel her the most, especially the porch. But I think she's right. There's a lot of sadness here because so much of the last month of her life occurred in the kitchen. I, I did her hair uh, at the chair I'm pointing at near the other window at the bottom of the stairs and the bathroom is right here. The number of times we got ready for dance competitions in the kitchen and it all looks just like this. And so it won't look like this anymore. But here's the thing. I think when it's new and different that I'll be able to be happier in here, the essence of Molly will still be here and we will choose beautiful pictures and artwork. And those pictures of Gracie and Molly behind me will go right onto the new fridge because that's where they belong. And 
it will be a beautiful, beautiful kitchen that will have a lot of Molly's essence in it. But the sadness hopefully will be a little bit less apparent. And, and maybe right now I'm just telling myself that. This shirt I'm wearing with the hearts on it, I just pat, patted my chest and it made me notice it, is a shirt that I had when Molly was alive. And I'm wearing leggings that she used to love to wear. I'm just holding on right now. I'm holding on as tightly as I can in the healthiest way to a room that's not going to look like this. Now I'm going to cry. <laughs> and it's, and then, you know, it's just freaking me out. In the days right after Molly's death, this kitchen was full of people, of food, of cards and gifts. The porch, we spent so much time on the porch. We sat out there all the time. And that was the wind chimes would ring. We had so many Molly moments on the porch. And it was just a place. Gracie and I slept on the living room floor, which I can see from here. And so I spent so much time in the months after Molly's death in these two rooms, in the living room and the kitchen, in this bathroom, because I couldn't go upstairs. I, I just would go upstairs to get clothes and I'd come flying back down. So all of this will change. And ultimately, change is a good thing. Becoming complacent and slow and lazy, not that staying the same means those things, but it can. And sometimes you can get forgetful and stop paying attention because, because you get stuck into a routine or a habit that isn't necessarily helpful or good. And, and I think, you know, lots and lots of aspects of the kitchen can hold on to the sadness sometimes. <laughs> that piece, I think, is a healthy part of the change. I'm looking at the back door and the number of pictures taken there every year, first day of school. You know, I remember the first ones when they were in preschool, in kindergarten. And then I remember the last one they had together when Molly was in seventh grade and Gracie was starting high school. And they gave me such a hard time to take the picture. They didn't want it. Oh, mom, this is stupid. And I stood right behind where I'm sitting. And I said, when you are 80 years old, you will love these pictures because you will be lifelong best friends. And you will look at them and you'll be glad you have them. Not knowing how poignant that statement would be to Gracie in under a year's time. So all of this, all of these things, the tree, the yard, coach's house, this kitchen, are all culminating at the same time. They're all happening happening in the month of October. What else happened in the month of October? My book launch. So here it is, Motherland, yay, the official book. So what does this have to do with, with the season of change where the long, lazy days of summer become the short, frigid, cold days of November? What does all this have to do with it? Well, what I've noticed when I read a chapter of this out loud a couple of podcast episodes back, I read a chapter out loud about my island how hard it is to read a book out loud, first of all. And I've committed this story to words, which means anyone in the world can buy it and read it. So there it is, my story, my confessions, my realizations, my regrets, my joys, my triumphs, all of it in a book, open for judgment now. People can read this and say, oh my God, Barb Higgins sucks. People can read this and say, oh my God, Barb Higgins is amazing. And everything in between. And that's terrifying, quite honestly. One of the things I've often noticed about artists is they, they create these beautiful things and they must love them and have an attachment to them. And then they sell them or give them away and they don't have it anymore. They create this beautiful thing. My sister-in-law, Tinglan, is an amazing photographer and painter and she'll take pictures and then she'll paint the pictures that she's taken. And she's got hundreds of them and they're all in her house. And I'm like, Lana, you have to put these out and sell them. And no, they're her baby. She doesn't want to let them go. And at some point, I believe that she will because they're beautiful, but I get it. I get it. They're hers. And so this, this story, this book, it's from my heart and it's a bit terrifying to have it out there. So the book launch, I talked a lot about it on Facebook lives. It was amazing. So uh, the big box of Motherland books came a couple of days prior. So 
all day long for the book launch. I felt nervous. I went to the bathroom a thousand times. Poor Gracie was a disastrous mess. We both canceled all of our afternoon activities and plans, and we just got ready for the launch. I was afraid nobody would come. 85 people came to the book launch. And that's, Gibson's is a big bookstore, but that was a lot of people. A lot of people stood. There were not enough chairs at all. I was utterly relieved and utterly humbled at the same time. There was a huge array of people there. I have to shout out to the superintendent of my district, Kathleen Murphy, and two assistant superintendents, Kim Yarlott and John Fabrizio. They came and it was unbelievably kind of them to come. You know, they, they don't have easy jobs and they have lots of late nights and they came and spent an hour listening to me talk about the book. Molly's seventh grade English teacher came, Mrs. Ostrowski. It was so, so good to see her. It made me cry. My sister Eleanor drove two and a half hours to come. That was a huge surprise. And her boyfriend, Johnny, that was an amazing, amazing surprise. I wasn't expecting it at all. My friend Susan came. She's one of my Amesbury friends. And, you know, Amesbury is an hour away. That's not a super far drive, but it is when you battle chronic fatigue and illness. And Susan, Susan fights prolonged Lyme, long-time Lyme disease. And she's an amazing, she's an amazing human being. And I love the time I spend with her. She's very uplifting. But it wasn't easy for her to drive all the way up on a Tuesday night. And she did. I was going out to my car to get something. And there she was. She parked right behind me. And I'm like, oh, it was just, just amazing. My dad and Karen, two of my seventh grade math buddies came. And then everyone, family members came and kids were there. And it was loud and raucous sometimes. And you could hear kids in the background, but I didn't care. You know, I wanted Jack to be there. And poor Gracie had to run around and chase him most of the time. <laughs> Kenny's not so helpful in the public realm, but it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. And for the most part, you know, Virginia's kids were there. They all did really well. So I wanted everyone to feel welcome. And, and we made sure to tell the people that brought kids, don't worry about it. Keep them entertained, of course, but don't worry. We're glad they're here. And we're glad that, you know, you're here and that you didn't stay home because you had kids. And, and it went well. So I read some of the beginning, some of the prologue, and I read the epilogue, and I read part of the Amsterdam chapter when I was at the Anne Frank house. And it was intense. It was an intense time. And then in between those times, Virginia asked very pointed questions. You know, she's published seven books, so she's done this seven times. So she sort of knew, and she had an idea of what would generate a good conversation. You know, I had a friend of mine say, you know, isn't she your ghostwriter? Why is, why is she such a big part of it? And I thought that the most odd question, but this is someone that truly doesn't know me and really doesn't understand what I'm about. There would be no story here. There would be no book without Virginia. And the reason she was supposed to do this is because she has this innate ability to capture voice and her characters are unbelievably believable. I just feel that the universe sent her here and she was supposed to write it. And so there it is. So all in all, it was a good night. It was an amazing night. One of my high school friends, John Kelly came and he dressed up as a Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You could wear people, you could wear pieces of costumes. I wore a Halloween Crocs and pumpkin socks for my Halloween piece. An assistant principal that was there when Molly was at Runlet came, Heather, and she wore a little witch's hat. I was blown away, just utterly blown away by the variety of people from my life and from Molly's life, Cindy and Carl, who were such a huge piece of what made it okay and bearable in those days right after her death came. So I had, you know, I just had people from all aspects of my life and that made me incredibly happy. And I'm a bit terrified because all those people are reading this book now. <laughs> my hope is that they'll just be able to see the truth in it and the vulnerability and the raw honesty in the book. I also just feel, you know, like I have a book on Amazon and I don't want to sound like all ego driven here. I'm not, but it's a, it's a pretty huge 
feeling of accomplishment. And, you know, some books are ghostwritten, the person who's interviewed for the book or whatever, and the ghostwriter have minimal interaction. The book just gets written and you never know who wrote it. But Virginia is such an integral piece of the story and Molly's story now and all the connections that that she has to be a piece of, of motherland. I would love to do more book signings. If you're listening and you think in your area, wherever you might live, if it's not near New Hampshire or near Concord, I would love to support independent bookstores, local bookstores. I'd love to support mother's groups, grieving mother's groups and grieving parent groups. Those are important things to support. I just think it's it's important and necessary to do so. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting here actually utterly exhausted. And again, all of these things happening in one of my least favorite months of the year. In my mind, I picture the months all to be different colors. There's a name for this when people think in colors. I don't remember what it is, but October is orange for me. September is like red, brown and red. November is like gray, like slate gray. December is white with like a black background. You know, it's, it's just weird. January is blue. I don't know. October and November are just difficult months for me. It's the days are getting shorter. It gets dark and cold. I get this knot in my stomach. A lot of my childhood abuse occurred in the season changes. And my, my springtime abuse was easier to cope with because it was followed by spring. The days got longer. I could get out of the house. I could get away, you know, and, and I could, you know, nurture myself in nature. Winter's different. It's not quite that way. You're stuck inside sometimes. And so I have a hard time with the fall. And all of these utterly uplifting changes are happening now in the fall. <laughs> so here I sit in my kitchen. I'm going to read a kitchen poem. You know, I don't, I don't cook. I don't do the cooking. I'm far too busy to cook. I just like to eat. But Kenny does. Kenny spends a lot of time. And, and this kitchen has been an integral part of our house for as long as I've lived here. It's been, you walk right in. Our new kitchen what is the pantry, which is I'm pointing behind me for those who are watching who can't see me. The pantry will be where the entrance to outside is and it'll be a mudroom. There'll be places to hang your coats and put your shoes and backpacks and things. It'll be an actual mudroom. You can drop our crap over there. And even if it's just on the floor, it's not in the middle of the kitchen. You can then come into the kitchen. And that's been the hardest part about our layout here is we, we've had coat racks next to either side of the door and boots lined up and it's just this chaotic mess all the time. And I, you know, it's funny when I look at pictures of this kitchen in the months leading up to Molly's death, it's really clean. And it's because they were middle school and high school that like we're moving into a new aspect of life. And I think back now, if Molly hadn't have died, you know, and I still feel if I hadn't have left that final week of her life, it might've been different. But I think we would have done the kitchen over and she would have been alive to be a part of it. That's another question I ask myself a lot is how would we be handling this if Molly were alive? What would it be like cutting the tree down if Molly were alive? What would it be like redoing the yard if Molly were alive? What would her input be and how would she go through it? It's a time I wish I had, I had more connection to her. I feel sometimes that she's not around much and that bums me out. So I do have things that will keep me busy. I have to find a voice coach to help me read this book. I want, I'm going to read it for Audible. That needs to happen sooner than later because a lot of people buy books on tape or lit on, on Audible. So I need to get that done. Right now, it's just a soft cover and Kindle. The Audible and the hardcover will come out probably after the new year, but I really do want to get the book read as soon as I can. So that's a huge undertaking for me. It will be about two weeks time of work is what they say, about 80 hours of recording. So, and you can't do it all at once because you lose your voice. <laughs> it's hard to imagine me losing my voice, but you know, 80 hours, that's, that's like a couple hours a chapter, but I guess that makes sense with rereading and editing. 
So I have to find, if any of you listening know of a company or I don't know, maybe I should just go on to Audible and see if, if there's a way to find out. I need help anyway. I need help, help. <laughs> maybe by the time this comes out, I'll have help. At any rate, this will actually be released November 7th, election week. Our local elections happen on the 7th here in Concord. I'm not running for anything this year. And then Veterans Day comes. Again, significant Molly connections to both of those things. So tumultuous time. You know, I guess in some ways it's better that it's happening in the fall. <laughs> if it was happening all summer, it would ruin my summer, right? I just want to be happy in the summer. I don't know. But I do know that when it's all said and done, we'll have a beautiful kitchen. We'll have a beautiful porch, which will be a much more usable piece of the kitchen. We're going to insulate it out there and it's going to stay a porch, but it will be usable pretty much 12 months a year, which will be wonderful. And we'll still spend a lot of time in our kitchen. So I'm going to end with this poem. It's, you know, I looked, I went online. So I found a couple of poems. One of them is by Pearl Bailey and the other is by somebody named Lori Colwyn. So it says, my kitchen is a mystical place a kind of temple for me. It is a place where the surfaces seem to have significance, where the sounds and odors carry meaning that transfers from the past and bridges to the future. So that is stunningly poignant to me because that's how I feel about this kitchen. And so I think the transformation will be a bridge to the future and that the pieces of it that stay the same will, will remind me of the past. This, this wall that I'm looking at, the wall that goes out to the porch with the door and the two windows will be unchanged. And I told Taylor, none of that will change. Taylor is my kitchen designer. That will be the same. And that's unbelievably important to me. It just has to stay the same. There's no, no, no getting around that. That's how it has to be. And so I can sit here in my new kitchen and remember Molly in her little pink dress with her head tilted to the side in her little preschool sign when she was three. I can picture her there, right? And I don't have to change my little pineapple curtain on the door. Certain things can stay the same. So I like that, but it sounds and odors, smells, memories, they all, they all relate. And then there's another one that I kind of like, and it says that family glaze of common references, jokes, events, calamities, that sense of a family being like a kitchen, midden layer upon layer of the things daily life is made of. The edifice that lovers build is by comparison, delicate and one-dimensional. This is a bit more waxing poetic but it really ties together. Kenny and I can look at something in this kitchen and look at each other and we know what each other is thinking because we're thinking of a, a shared memory around whatever the item is. That will never change, even if the kitchen's different. Spending a lot of time talking about a kitchen. <laughs> but, you know, think of every party you go to, right? You go to a party and people congregate in the kitchen. We've looked at a lot of houses and looking at to purchase real estate. And the kitchen is one of the most important rooms. And it's because so much happens there. So much is created there, food. And with food comes ceremony and, and celebrations and sadnesses. You know, this kitchen has seen it all, which is why I bring the podcast to you from my kitchen. So I'm going to end here. So go sit in your kitchen and listen to the podcast in your kitchen <laughs> or share with me some stories from your kitchens. I, I just think it's an important sort of fun thing. We all, we all have kitchen memories, a favorite kitchen, a Grammy's, a Grammy's kitchen that can bring back happiness. When I think of Grammy Higgins's kitchen, I always picture her washing the dishes. That's a strong memory I have. And I have two kitchens I picture her in. And that's what, I, that's what I think. When I picture my kitchen on Essex Street growing up, I always see the yellow table and the gray tile floor. That was the old kitchen before it was redone. But that's what I see because I had so many stark memories in that kitchen. Anyway, be good to yourself. When you're done being good to yourself, be good to someone else. 
And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories as I love connecting with my listeners. If you would like to get to know Molly, head over to mollybfoundation.org to see what she is all about. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.